come with me and you'll see a world of pure imagination. And nice. that's and that's a, it's that that's a beautiful movie and that quote sends chills down my spine in a good way. Welcome to Third Side everyone. First live episode. Navigating yes. popular culture by Black Flame. My name is Adam Campbell. My name is John Shaw. <laughs> yeah, John Shaw. Hey, we're going to be having a really wonderful episode today. Can I start by just mentioning something I noticed? And you tell me if this makes me a great parent or a really, really horrible parent, okay? And go. You ready? Okay, here it is. I walked into the front room because I heard something that sounded familiar, but I couldn't really place it. I just a sound coming out of television, right? I walk in the front room and I see a scene in The Evil Dead 2 where the creature's head is like coming into like this monkey shape and like screeching. And then I look around the room, and my daughter's the only one in the room, just big smile on her face, watching as this is the greatest moment of her entire life with little My Little Ponies bouncing on her lap. <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay. So I, and she loves it. She loves horror movies. She loves the monsters. Everything about yeah. monsters. Does this make me the greatest or the worst parent in the world? I would say greatest. Did you like uh, monsters as a kid? Absolutely. Um, I, I grew up in a pretty strange little household. Uh, our, my brother and I didn't get the best toys or in the neighborhood or anything like that, so we we're forced to, you know, use our imaginations and uh, create our own little environments and monsters and things like that. So it was really it was really fun to do that. I used to go to sleep at night and uh, in pitch black because my father was like lights out, like it was a prison, and um, <laughs> you know I'd see faces it's in the dark and be playing. Yeah. yeah, right. I I just I'd see things and I I do things in my head and just enjoy it, the whole thing I was creating and, and things and. Uh, had a good time. I loved monsters like as a kid. Seven, eight years ago. Yeah, nine, nine, nine about nine. <laughs> I love that stuff. Well, you know who else loves stuff like that? I do, and he's with us today. Oh yeah. Who is it? You say? Yeah. Who is that? None other. None other. <laughs> Talking about monsters and movies and different things like this. Magus Peter H. Gilmore, everyone. Yeah. Oh wait, hold on. That's my cue. <laughs> hey guys thanks for having me absolutely totally our pleasure totally our pleasure um i want to acknowledge everyone in the chat room right now really quick thank you so much you are not late enjoy what you've gotten if you're gonna if you feel like you're late scrub the player all the way to the very right and that will get you caught up to the current live status again it's going to be a little bit delayed from the video to the uh chat room audio uh, as we're going to see it and you're going to see it so uh just be aware of that but uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in live. I really do appreciate it. I know we all do. Um, again, I'm going to just reiterate really quick. Peter H. Gilmore, I, I, a great friend of both of ours. He's uh, a mentor, and uh, I'm really excited to have you on here. Thank you so much for joining us uh, once again. Oh, thanks for having me. We're here in the Black House, and it's raining outside, so it's totally proper for a monster discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're going to be talking about our connection to monsters and anti-heroes in film. And, of course, there could be no one better to join us for this. So we do have a bit of a loose discussion. <laughs> David Wallace in the chat room. Maestro. Um, a loose uh, format. We're going to be hitting a couple beats during this discussion. We're going to try to go on or around an hour, and we're going to see what happens. Uh, we're a little loose like that, just like monster movies. Um, You're loose. It's, it's true. But it's because of active use, and I think that's a good thing, right? Active. Absolutely. Right, use it so, and use it often, I always say. <laughs> yeah. Hey, use it or lose it. That's what works. I mean, I, I was told as a, a young lad that if you don't use it, then it falls off. 
I don't know if that was true, but or you go blind. I don't know what I can see just fine. Not Not monster Harry. All right, um, (laughs) Peter, let's let's start this discussion with you if you're all right with it. Um, Let's see. Where do you think collectively our uh, connection with monsters comes from? Well, essentially, when we're young, we tend to often feel alienated from the world around us because we're trying to make our own way. And when we start to experience monsters in literature and film, we always see the monsters as aliens and outsiders who are trying to figure out what the world is like around them. I think as children, we identify with them almost immediately. At least our kind does. I don't know about the normal types. Uh, They might be afraid of them. They might be the ones who want to take up the pitchforks and the torches and go chasing the monsters. But I know that myself, I grew up in a place called Tuxedo Park. And it's kind of a dark and mysterious place with steep slopes with pine forests and dark lakes that the mafia used to dispose of bodies in. You used to have to drain them every once in a while to recover the corpses. So hearing dogs howl at the moon and the fog rolling in the backyard. And I always felt when I watched Dracula that uh, his castle might have been right around the corner from where I lived uh, because there were some estates in Tuxedo Park. It was kind of an exclusive community that had uh, gigantic uh, wrought iron gates and stone guardhouses, and only the people who lived there could get in. So it was already like entering a castle to go to where I lived. So the monsters are always my kin. They were never my adversaries. And so when you could see the Wolfman turning and doing that at the full moon, you'd think, I could do that too, but I think I might be able to figure better ways of handling the situation he often did. He'd seem to freak out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then Dracula, of course, uh, living in that wonderful castle and having his brides. That was certainly inspirational, not something to be afraid of or <laughs> to run away from. Yeah. Joseph Smith was inspired by the brand. <laughs> Maybe too much. I think he took it a little too far, perhaps. Um, but then you'd even watch something like, uh, you know, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Even though I didn't live in a tropical area, uh, watching him being the last of his kind, sort of swimming in the water, he had so much power as a being that was so suited to his environment. And, of course, uh, Julie Adams was pretty much a nice lure as she was floating above him and he'd be like, mm-hmm, 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 yeah. underneath. That's always kind of great. Yeah, so the monsters are always your brothers, your friends. Uh, I never felt that they were my adversaries. So the classic monsters I grew up with, um, you know, I was interested in dinosaurs, of course, as a kid. I knew all about the, how they evolved and what they were like as, and kept learning about them even into adulthood because uh, things keep getting revolutionized by the new ways of exploring their physiology. But uh, when I saw Godzilla for the first time, he was, of course, the greatest of all dinosaurs. So... There we go. And he certainly became, if, if there was anything like a spirit animal, he was something that I completely identified with, that wonderful force of nature who told people, don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to ask you a little bit more about him in just a little bit. Um, sure. Let me, uh, sorry, I'm bouncing stuff around here. Um, let me ask John, what it, where does this connection come from for you? I, I think, you know, it was really summed up well by Peter, but there's, I mean, you, almost exactly the same way, you know, when you were a child, you were saying at the top of the show, you guys would create these creatures. Did you ever have an experience where you created something that terrified you that you just didn't want a part of? 
No, no. Um, the only thing that terrified me as a kid was my father. Um, <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> that, that I shouldn't the, laugh. It's sad. <laughs> I, no, it's, I, I laugh at it. You should too. Uh, yeah, that was the only thing. Anything we created, um, like Peter said, we felt like we were we were kin to them. They were our brothers. They were, you know, we, we're not. I'm not going to create something in my imagination that's going to, you know, actually frighten me. So no, nothing. It was like this. It, it seemed to me, at least in in my experience, where there's a point where monsters were out to get you, in, and then there was a point, and I'm talking about like historically, culturally, historically in the United States. And then there was a period where, you know, where the wild things came on, where then you were suddenly a part of the monster. Like, you were the monster. And I don't know when that happened or what, but I definitely came in at the tail end of that where I, I was the monster. And it was, it was a good thing. Like, <clears throat> I never identified with these stories. That even, you know, I, I still read to my kids. Well, I did when they were younger anyway. Um, nowadays, where the story is about a little kid who has an alligator under his bed, and he's terrified. Um, there's always this point in modern stories now of modern children's stories where the kid is initially afraid, experiences the monster, and then dominates the monster mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever it is. And I've got a couple stories back here that I can share at some later episode <laughs> about that. But it, it's a completely different way of, of thinking about the monster genre, which, which flies in the face of all these really wonderful old black and white universal horror films that I also grew up on, where it was, it was us against them, the monsters. You know? and, and so it's, I don't know, do, do you guys think that there really was this, this period where collectively our, our, our culture shifted into being okay to be one of the monsters versus being afraid and a victim of them? Well, I don't know if you're if it's actually it's okay for, on a cultural level to be one with the monsters even still. I think that these days since we have this great renaissance of superhero concepts and they're being made into these multi-million dollar and billion dollar earning films that the sexiest characters are almost always the villains and so people now think it's cool to to be on the side of the villains. But I don't really think that that's that old. I think that that's fairly recent because even as you were explaining the idea of of taking a monster and dominating it is not how I looked at it. I always looked at, I was one with the monsters. Mm -hmm. Like I was against the people hunting the monsters. I was with them. I always identified with Dracula or the werewolf or the mummy, you know, especially the yeah. Boris Karloff. I mean, when he came out, he was in his shrouds and so dry and raspy. But then suddenly he's Karis, the ancient high priest, who's working his dark magic over the people in the, this modern era that he'd come alive in, which was amazing. Like, what a powerful figure. And, and I was never for the people against the monsters. That was just always... I, and there's funny, there's a movie called Slaughter of the Vampires. It's this kind of romantic Italian movie that starts with uh, the villagers chasing the vampires, a, a male and female vampire, and the guy has got a cape, and the woman's in this beautiful white outfit, and she's, you know, beautifully shaped and great, you know, this, and the, the people are chasing them and trying to get them, and, and eventually the, the female vampire is caught and staked by the villagers as the male vampire escapes. But to me, as a kid watching that, I was, again, with the vampires, not the people after the vampires. I felt bad for them that these assholes in their <laughs> shitty clothes and they're living in their hovels were chasing these amazing aristocratic predators and trying to do away with them. It's like, ah, fuck those people. Like, the vampires should win. They should get away. They should be the ones ruling things. They're the ones who have immortality. They're yeah, the ones who have wisdom. Not the assholes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, 
if the world is is actually turning that way, and I really don't think it is necessarily. Mm. I think it's just a fad, because when it comes to being a villain or a monster, that means you're an outsider. You're not part of a collective. You're not going to be given group hugs because, oh, it's cool to be a monster. Because monsters are never really cool to the masses. And I think they'll always belong to us, we Satanists, not the, the, the herd culture. They're not really part of the monsters. They're just pretending to be. <laughs> I, I hope so, yeah. I mean, there's there's like certain movies that you watch... Um, you know, whether it's a Disney one or if it's a DreamWorks one, I can't remember if it's like the Hotel Transylvania, where the the entirety of the show is, you know, a family of monsters. Um, I never really, th again, you know, I, I slip into these solipsistic ways of seeing the world. So maybe it is just quite literally just I'm just seeing it through my own eyes and say, oh, well, this is shared. But my like, I, I'm stoked because my daughter's like really, really into these these creatures that that i grew up with and that you know collectively we all grew up with and it was a very exciting thing um to be a part of that uh that dark and scary world and to identify sometimes like you know one of my favorite monster movies is frankenstein and that idea that he he was created into this family the monster of frankenstein and he was shunned by that same family i had a very almost exact connection to that idea because it was one that i shared in my mormon household like i was the monster and so you know I, the fact that she's not being ostracized in the family but she's still connecting with that idea of the monster is really really great see i identified with dr frankenstein and it was oh. the monster was always yeah you know you made the monster but that's why i kind of like the hammer versions better because peter cushing was playing dr frankenstein mm. and is a, always a cultured intelligent and fiercely pragmatic individual he was going to shatter the bounds of propriety and find that knowledge that people would say that the gods have forbidden us which is again you know mary shelley called it the modern prometheus <clears throat> the idea yeah. was to take the fire from the gods and and dr frankenstein to me was this amazing promethean character that i totally identified with it but it was amazing to, to see that kind of inspirational figure out there and i bet there's a lot of people in science these days who were secretly inspired by good old dr <laughs> victor frankenstein and would yeah. never dare admit it i um, think uh, i think the like the masses you know since since the start of any stories of monsters or any anything that was ever made up um, it was, it's always been a part of our psyche, you know, as humans. And I think that as far as the masses are concerned, they always went after that monster and, and tried to kill that monster that they created. And it, because they, they always tried to make it a part of themselves, but outside of themselves, you know, it's a, monsters have always, to me, have always been a, a part of our carnal nature. And it's just a, a way of them externalizing it. I mean, what greater monster than the one that they created called Satan? That just represents us. So I, I agree with Peter when he says that Satan, you say? Yeah, because we have accepted the that dark side of ourselves. Exactly. And we're not going after them. We're embracing That's them. the ultimate monster. Right. We take the entire range of human emotions from love to hate and everything in between. So the monstrous is something that we can easily embrace. You know, that, that Dr. LeVay would have pictures of the freaks that he had known and the ones that he hadn't known on his walls because these are people who would be seen as monstrous by the general populace. But they looked at what they had and said, I got to find a way to make this work, that the herd will pay me to be freakish 
and that I'm not going to be seen as a victim. I'm not going to cry and whine. I'm going to go out there and scare the fuck out of them and get them to pay me for it. And that was kind of <laughs> awesome. It's always to take whatever is monstrous in you and make it to work to your own advantage. And again, that's always the essence of Satanism, that pragmatism and that realism of saying, I'm unique and I'm not like the rest of you. And I'm not going to try to fake it and make you think that I'm like you. I'm going to stand out boldly and brazenly and say, yeah, I'm, I, you may look at me as a freak and a monster. And then be afraid. Be very afraid. Because it's my favor that you need to, to, to curry, not me, yours. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I don't know if you guys uh, have had an opportunity at all to, to review some of these comments that we're in the chat room. But I think hashtag Monster Lives Matter is very poignant. <laughs> all right uh, let's let's look who wrote it look who wrote it <laughs> of course of course um Dwayne gray um john some of the most effective yes. monsters what do you think i'm sorry I, what are some actually... of the most effective monsters that you have uh experienced as a kid or a grown man or just exist i think the most effective are are the uh the classic ones the dracula the frankenstein the werewolf those to me are, are the closest ones that uh, to ourselves, you know, yeah. um, we all want to become the werewolf when we're angry or passionate about something. And but yeah, that's, I think those are the most effective. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, Peter, what do you think? What are some of the most effective monsters out there? Well, I, I agree with that. Those are the ones that I grew up with. You know, I, one of the first two novels that I read sort of simultaneously were Dracula and War of the Worlds when I was oh, about four, four or five years old. And so, like, I got science fiction and gothic horror as to, to, totally formative things. Then I started reading Poe and Lovecraft immediately afterwards. So all of this kind of the cosmic horror of Lovecraft... The idea that uh, the universe is vast and indifferent to us mm -hmm. and there might be powerful forces, that's the kind of monstrous thing that I think can be frightening. The things that diminish our individuality and could wash it away. Uh, the, the power of nature. And I think that's why Godzilla is such an effective monster. Because the idea is that he's nature embodied in such a way that he stands as the force of nature with a consciousness because nature doesn't pay attention to us runs roughshod over us right. but suddenly in godzilla nature is conscious and looking at you and going you're not so good and doing something that i don't <laughs> like i think that's where the power of, of the terror of godzilla is that that his warning that we need to be in balance with nature and fighting it is is a really truly strong image uh, you know most people grew up Godzilla got very silly and child-oriented in the first, the Showa series, and they kind of brought him back to being scary in the Heisei series in the 90s. And then the Millennium series, they tried to reinvent stuff. But now the new one that just came out in Japan, Shin Gojira, he's terrifying again. He's this mutilated, burnt, horrific Godzilla that's out there to totally destroy everybody. And he's got, like, lasers that he shoots out of his back and out of his tail, and he's just completely puts poison blood everywhere and blows up Tokyo with just his breath. And, and it, the Japanese are eating it up. It's making a fortune over there and it'll be out here in October. And, you know, following on the American one, which, which in two, 2014 tried to sort of be classic but modern, um, sort of dealing with Godzilla as an adversary but also heroic in that he could right the balance of nature. The Japanese said, well, 
all right, they did a, a Godzilla that is sort of making more realistic what we proposed originally. So they're saying, okay, now we're just going to go for broke and be insane and make Godzilla the most evil, crazy thing we can do. And so we have this wonderful dichotomy of, of like Godzilla as the nature balancer and Godzilla as people you better just watch out because he's <laughs> like God. He's, he's creating his own beings. At the yeah. end of the movie, there's almost like humanoid creatures coming out of his dead body like that are Godzilla-ish humans. Like Godzilla is a god. He can create Whoa. his own evolution that's kind of extraordinary. So so how monstrous and wonderful is that? It's just a fountain yeah. of... I, I have a question that pose, you know, pose, um brings it up here I, I know godzilla was was portrayed as a hero as a uh, as a monster in some of them as a childhood friend D does that bother you at all as as far as the differentiating you know godzilla um portrayals out there or did you did did you like a certain one and why well you know it, it never bothered me because it's more godzilla it's like you know it was great seeing a guy in a suit smashing model buildings and all that fun stuff yeah. and, you know th there was always a great deal of fun to those movies but the ones i i feel much closer to and and the the image of godzilla is the darker ones it's the first one and uh you know when even at the end of the first series the terror of mecha godzilla he's back being dark even though the costume is kind of muppety and silly that one is a totally screwy weird dark thing where aliens are working with a scientist who's who's really hates humanity because humanity has fucked him over and he's got a an android his daughter was turned into an android by the aliens and it's it's just this crazy mess of misanthropy that uh, is 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 horrifying and it's great. It's 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 they even though it looks cheesy, it's the darkness to it is palpable and magnificent, and uh, that keeps coming back. It's always what they keep yeah. coming home to with Godzilla, and that's why I like it. It's like yeah, I don't want to see him doing like wrestling moves with some giant cockroach. I'd I'd rather yeah. see <laughs> the scary dark whoa, Godzilla. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I you had mentioned something in there about. Uh, him being like a sort of a balancing force in nature that's a lot of what i see in uh traditional horror movies i mean i was just watching the thing the other day and i could see how that could be seen as um this creature from outer space but of nature of the universe of this you know um universal connected um intelligence that is trying to stop mankind from going too far uh from now, are you talking about the original much. or the Carpenter John remake? Carpenter. Oh, yeah. John well, that's, I think they're both fantastic. The original uh, Christian Nyby and the John Carpenter remake are fantastic movies. And even that, that prequel they did to the Carpenter movie is actually quite good. Um, it really does a good that, job on yeah. that. But the concept of the thing, though, is, 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 again, it's the idea that nature is something that is pragmatic. It's evolutionary. Mm -hmm. Whatever species is biologically most fit will be the one that survives. Yeah. And so when the thing comes here, it's much better prepared to survive than we are. So this is a real battle for dominance. Like, is the universe going to drop something on us that we can't handle? Yeah. Uh, which is always, again, a wonderful feature about alien invasion movies, which is why I always love them. Mm. Uh, it's, again, since I started with World, War of the Worlds when I was a child, yeah. that, that the, the idea of aliens coming here and can we meet them can we best them or are they going to conquer us like where are we in that pyramid are we the top predator do we have to share the slot or are we going to get knocked down that's always i think a really fascinating thing for me about the monsters in science fiction movies and in those i often don't identify with those monsters because i want our species to be here yeah so <laughs> here come the aliens it's like all right you know fuck them we got to fight back. We got to find a way of, of beating those things. You know, Independence Day, mm -hmm. that sort of mediocre sequel they just did of it. Uh, but, but, you know, we've got to find a way of dealing with it. 
the the original Alien movie and, and even the, the, the sequels, the idea that we found something that's a superior predator to us, something that's evolved so precisely and so gorgeously. Xenomorph, yeah. Yeah, the xenomorph, which actually is a term that doesn't, you know, they have adopted it for that creature. But the original, it came from Outer Space movie, which is about this sort of blobby thing with an eye. These aliens crash in the desert, and because they don't look like humans, they kind of have to take people over and make people look like you make themselves look like people so they can repair their spaceship and get the hell off of earth because they think people are like primitive and horrible and they can't stand to be near them um they and call they are. That, that the xenomorph and that was a very poignant film because you don't even really see what the alien looks like until towards the end of the film and you find out at that point they they have no interest in earth they're like our spaceship broke a you know blew a gasket we have to fix it and get off of this <laughs> yeah. happy planet with you savage apes on it and 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 that was so ahead of its time like i i think nowadays they would sort of have trouble with that because it's not an action adventure movie there aren't people sliding down the side of skyscrapers and blowing up cities it's just this quiet thing of aliens going yeah, we don't really want to be here. This is a bad detour. <laughs> what did we do? Ah! <laughs> you know, I was so. checking out the chat. Uh, they, they mentioned the movie They Live. Uh, have you seen that? Both yes, of you guys? yes, yes. What did you think of that as far as monsters, aliens type of thing? Oh, that was fun. I mean, that that's, again, fun and conspiracy approach. I, you know, <laughs> I enjoy that kind of thing. It, it's fun. Zoom, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, back to the chat room. I, I'm a huge fan of Halloween, too. Um, I think John Carper did an amazing job with that original one. And I may be the only one, but I still liked Rob Zombie's take on it as well. Um, you know, for what it was. You know what? I'm just going to cut John out because I loved it. I thought it was really good. It was good. <laughs> You're out of the show! <laughs> I'm not putting up with this crap! Yeah, no. Um, so, most effective for me... I. I like monsters that don't reveal themselves completely. I like monsters that are draped in shadow most of the time. I really don't like it when when you got a monster and he's just like, ta-da! <laughs> you know, I'm here! I want, I want them to be sort of on the fringe of things. And that's why I love, like, the black and white movies. Even though they did, like, I mean, the mummy. He was, like, sitting down in his, you know, regular public form just having a chat and, like, schmoozing with, with the girl. My daughter loves that movie, by the way. Um, the original one. Again, my girl's great. Um, but, like, he's just out there in the sun. But the way they filmed it, I mean, because it was just the technique of the time, it still made it dark and mysterious for me. And so nowadays, when I see monster movies, I go to movies like Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, the original one, where he's in darkness chasing these people. And he's just this crazed maniac. I like that version a lot better. Cloverfield. Talk about, like, the American version of a, of, of a type of Godzilla monster movie. Where he also had like these little babies like crawling on his back and stuff. Um, you didn't see him fully throughout the entire film. Even at the very end, you only got this really weird angled snapshot of his head. I like that. I mean, do you guys think that that's important for a good monster uh, movie? Just the darkness surrounding them? Oh, that that's very important. I think that it totally works. If you know, you look at Christopher Lee in the Hammer movies. Mm -hmm. He's often suave and elegant, and he he's in the shadows, and he'll be commanding people to do his bidding. But when he comes out, he's a complete savage. He's blood on his fangs, his eyes bright red, and he's throwing people across the room. But only when he needs to. Otherwise, mm -hmm. he's sort of outside the window, or he's in the corner, and he's talking, and he's hypnotizing. Especially, say, Taste of the Blood of Dracula, where they they sort of found a satanic aficionado to resurrect Dracula. And then, of course, in order to get revenge on all of the puritanical fathers 
who are against the carnality of the young people, that all of the young girls conspire to destroy their dads with Dracula's help. So he becomes, essentially, he unleashes their, their feminine libido and has them totally slaughter the, the, the fathers that are, even though they're going to brothels and being hypocritical, <laughs> they are destroyed for their hypocrisy. That's such a wonderfully satanic film on so many levels. But Cloverfield, too, is a fantastic film that uh, they use the found footage approach so much better than that stupid Blair Witch movie. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it really carried the idea. It, it had the sense of disaster that the original Godzilla film had, and it referenced 9-11 brilliantly. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody who went through it in, in Manhattan, uh, the feeling that they captured was like that, that I, I was just really impressed by that. And yeah, those parasites that came off the creature that could attack people, and they, they would bite you, and they have coagul anticoagulant in their, in their mucus, so that woman exploded because she was bitten by it. I mean, that's fabulous. You know, great stuff, a good scary movie. And, and I hated most of the characters, and that they all died. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> ah! Only years movie. late. It was like, yes, kill all of them. I'm glad at the end of the movie, all those horrible characters are dead. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> and the end titles by Michael Giacchino yeah. were an homage to Akira Ifukube, who wrote all the God classic Godzilla scores. And that was a brilliantly done thing, too. So not only does the movie end, it's wonderful, then you get this incredible musical tribute yeah. to the genius of kaiju films. So a perfect package. I love that film. Did you get a I chance like to... to... Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. No, no go. go ahead. All right. Did you see the... Re the? It's not even really a sequel. The cousin film, 13 Cloverfield Lane? No, no, and people keep telling me. I need okay, to I don't see want to it. say anything. Then we'll skip to a different one. I don't want to ruin that. Yeah, I, I know what happens in it, but it, it definitely sounds like it'd be up my alley. I think I'd enjoy it. Wait a second, chat room, George, he died. When did this happen? Come on, Kong died. Fucking bullshit. Thanks, George. Thanks a lot, George. All right. <laughs> so what I was going to say before was uh, when we were talking about the monsters that that you don't see during the movie, mm -hmm. uh, they're or they're hidden or they're invisible, kind of like the. Um, the uh, paranormal activity, you know, almost as the supernatural thing. And, and although I believe in real life it's hogwash, I do enjoy watching the movies about that sort of thing because it's just it feeds that 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 thing going on inside uh, about ourselves. But I, I enjoy those movies. Do, do you guys enjoy the the uh, movies where there's no one there and all of a sudden, you know, there they are, or they're invisible like a supernatural thing? Uh, Peter, I'll defer to you first. Well, I, I, Peggy likes the, those paranormal activities movies. Um, I, they don't really jibe for me. Because mm -hmm. uh, it, it, to me, it's, it just looks like you were so low budget you couldn't afford a monster. <laughs> like, I, you know, it, it's like, yes, let's do some camera tricks. And, oh, we tie somebody and, like, yank them off the camera really quick. Woo, that's so scary. And it's like, nah, you could do that in high school. Like with a <laughs> video. Your, your iPhone, you could make that movie. So what about like, what about? I uh, like people to deliver something that's interesting. Like I, I want to see a cool mm -hmm. monster. Like you can keep it hidden in secret for a long time, and but then there has to be revelation at some point. I think, and it should be damned impressive. That's what I want to see. Yeah. So maybe maybe something uh, that's supernatural, sort of like The Exorcist, where you did see the monster through manifested the character. Oh, that... the Exorcist films are wonderful. I mean, they're the greatest commercial for the Roman Catholic Church ever done. <laughs> uh, and, and they're fun. I mean, those movies really scared the hell out of people by creating uh, a reality for these mythical things. They brought them into a modern context 
that they hadn't inhabited before and did it very skillfully. You know, Blatty was a smart guy. There's a really good film that he, he wrote and directed called uh, The Ninth Configuration, also known as Twinkle, Twinkle, Killer Kane. And it's about the people in a mental institution that's uh, run by the military. And that's all about the monsters in the human psyche. And I think that's one of the more disturbing and fascinating films ever done by him. And you should seek that out. Everybody, I suggest that. It's a truly remarkable movie. Can you say the name one more time? It's called The Ninth Configuration, and it's also known as Twinkle, Twinkle, Killer Kane. And the Killer Kane references from Flash Gordon. Yeah, I'm going to have to go check that out because that sounds awesome. <laughs> it really is. It's a wonderful film. I am a fan of, uh, to, to go back to your question, John, I, I am a fan of the, the supernatural sort of origin stuff too, but yeah. I, I do like the payoff. Like, you can only tease for so long before we get horror movie blue balls. And then we're just like, give it up! Like, come on! I need this! Like, show me something interesting! I don't yeah. like it. Like, um, I loved I loved the Blair Witch ones <laughs> at the time because it was You're just... You're out of here! It was... <laughs> Well, I, I remember I had to promote the second one. They flew me out to L.A. to promote oh, that, that second brutal, yeah. witch movie. Yeah. And I did the first live streaming satanic ritual in history on the internet for promoting that stupid second Blair Witch movie. Oh, <laughs> the mistakes we make. <laughs> I didn't like well, the know, second one at all. I got interviewed by glo a global audience. That was also That's a cool. first in history. That's really so, cool. So I, I, that, I used that opportunity to be flown first class out to L.A. and have a yeah. good time and promote Satanism on a global scale in a way that had never been done before. And it was all just for a crappy movie. So <laughs> I think I want... <laughs> I think you did. I remember I, uh, growing up as a kid, um, the the first horror movie I've ever seen was The Exorcist, and I was eight years old. And my father, being the sadistic asshole he is, um, <laughs> I know he's not watching this. But, uh, <laughs> he's coming for you, man. He's coming. He made me watch it under protest. I'm screaming. I'm crying. It was almost traumatic. Um, I don't want anybody to feel bad for me, but it's just that that's what me. it was. But I could not look away. I couldn't look. It was like a car crash. I was like drawn into it. I'm like, I didn't want to see it, but then I wanted to. But it was very, very scary for me. Um, what was the first movie that you guys ever seen? And how old were you? You can go, Adam. Okay. Yeah, you, you go ahead. Yeah, you yeah, go. Ahead. I'm gonna take this bad boy. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now I'm taking this. All <laughs> right, so my first one again. I've already said it. It's uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. First one. It was really really early in the morning or late at night depending on where you want to look at it we I, I grew up in a mormon household and so it was only a short window that we had and this is part of the reason why short window that we had hbo and at the time they were running the nightmare on elm street really really early like four in the morning and so i would i was always a morning person so i woke up really early and i was just watching tv flipping through channels and i saw that scene where he's stretching his arms out like chasing like ah <laughs> And that terrified me as a little kid. I think I had to be like six, five or six years old. And it terrified me to no end. And I watched the whole rest of the movie because of that. I was just, I was completely enraptured by what I was seeing on the screen. It was this magical experience that, where it wasn't like watching Young Frankenstein, where it was like almost kind of moody, but then comic. You know, which is a movie I love, not really a horror movie. Um, and maybe we can get in that in a second. But I just, I connected with this idea of terror. Like it just struck, uh, rang a bell within me that I can't stop from this day. I have to just keep shaking it. 
shaking that stupid bell. I don't know why I did that. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I immediately regret doing that. Um, I love that show. So Nightmare on Elm Street, man, all the way. Freddy Krueger, yeah. yeah. I remember when that came out. Uh, Peggy and I went and saw that in the theater. and We were really kind of impressed that uh, they'd created a new monster that really had the similar kind of depth of the old Universal monsters. That Freddy was this horrific human being who had been murdered by people to get revenge and then he became this vengeful demon that could enter dreams to torture people it was extraordinary it was a great concept and, and uh, the look was fantastic it was iconic Freddie, you know and, and robert england was magnificent he really got into the role beautifully and and there was such surrealism in wes craven's original film again the arms that just kept extending yeah. you know when he was coming that was fantastic and and they kind of played with that as they went on the series, there was like the phone thing where the tongue comes through the phone <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, yeah. the faces, the, the, the rubber wall thing that became really con constant after that. But that was, I think, the first time they did it where suddenly the walls, the faces coming through the wall and all that kind of stuff. That yeah. was great stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But also think, too, about um, for, for like newer monsters past the Universal ones, uh, when Tim Burton did uh, Sleepy Hollow and we got... yeah. Uh, Christopher Walken as uh, the Headless Horseman. And that <laughs> was, was awesome. an amazing monster. And w the best moment in that movie, when the kid's the hiding berserker. under the floor, and mm. then the head of the mother rolls over and her dead eyes are now looking down at the kid. Yeah. That was that was equal to anything that had been done before. <laughs> that was a totally phenomenal moment. It just shows that Tim Burton can deliver the goods and that his many recent misfires uh, still don't yeah. belie the great talent that guy can have at times. Yeah. Uh, but first movies for me, I, they, they are the universal ones, and it may, Dracula may be the first one for me. I think that might have been the first horror movie that I saw. And the, the quietness of that movie, because it doesn't have a score, essentially. It has uh, that source music. It has, like, the Swan Lake at the beginning, and then when they go to the concert, you hear something. But it was that stillness. You know, when the, when the carriage goes up the Carpathians to the castle, you hear the sound of the horses and the breathing of the horses and the rocking of the carriage and then the bats squeaking and the wolves howling. And then you get to Dracula's castle. There's all of the, the dust and the cobwebs and Bela Lugosi comes down that staircase with that candle and it's utterly quiet. The, 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 again, the stillness and the loneliness of that. There was such power to that depiction. And when you watch as he continues, that, that he's this amazing individual, that he's not linked to anything, that his past is, is gone. It's a tradition. It's all dust. And he's trying to find a way to survive and, and continue in this world that has outpaced him, but that he still may have power over. And, and that, to me, was, was just such a, a, a call that I just latched onto that very powerfully. The cinematography, too. I mean, you were mentioning the scenes oh, and the sounds, yeah. but the way they shot where his eyes were illuminated and everything else was mm -hmm. shrouded, I mean, that was really, really powerful. I don't think they don't people make it like pay, they, used to. they don't pay attention enough nowadays, I don't think, traditionally, no. to stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's really important. Light and shadow, everyone. Yeah, I think Guillermo del Toro does a good deal of that and what he's trying to do. I think he still gets pushed into a little more contemporary, fuss, you know, frenetic activity that that happens but he has a great sense of the surreal and something like the devil's backbone which is a really scary ghost story that i think is spookier than the crimson peak one that he did it's elaborate and wonderful and gothic as that is yeah. uh but uh also um pan's labyrinth is is really oh poetic gosh. and dark and seductive Love. and Love really it. he he's he's for <laughs> me the guy working show. today that that really can deliver the goods in that old school horror sensibility <laughs> 
Yeah, Pan's Labyrinth, man. I took my son to go... Well, my wife and I took my son when he was... Well, he was first in theaters, and he was probably a little way little too young to be watching that but again we didn't realize how adult it was going to be we just knew it was sort of this adult fairy tale from the trailers and stuff um went to go see that got a lot of looks by other parents and other people like <laughs> why is this little kid coming in here and then that scene where the uh the general like smashes the farmer or the hunter's nose into his face with the butt of his knife i just like ah, dived over my son don't look ah Probably, I, I was so yeah, afraid, like, on the ride home, trying to, like, explain, okay, this was just a movie. This was not real. He did not really get his nose bashed in. They didn't really die. This was all just, a, you know, this elaborate movie, and it was all, you know, people were laughing when the scene cut, you know, about how gross yeah. it looked and how fun it was to, to perform that. And then I was like, what movie do you want to rent? Um, you know, let's rent one of your movies on the way home so that you can feel really good, and you want to do the superhero one with, like, Captain America. And, like, the first scene in it, Captain America cuts a dude's head off with his shield, like, throwing it. So... <laughs> I was like, all right, you know what? No problem. I'm done. We're good. If, he, if he's yeah. seeing this now at a cartoon level, he can handle a, a fake movie. <laughs> like, yeah, but you know, Del Toro was showing that the real monster is always people. Yeah, like people always do the most monstrous things, and that monsters are just stylized things. That real horror is the way people treat each other, and that's always been the case. And that was actually a powerful message that I got out of that movie too. Um, yeah, do, and it's, it's, think, in, it's quite intentional. Yeah. Do you think that that's a big part of, of our connection with monsters is that some of the best ones, we have these shared emotions with them on screen. It's not just this creepy guy that you don't know anything about haunting, stalking, and killing, that you actually get a sense of these characters, like those universal ones. Uh, I mean, um, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I mean, you throughout this, the, the, the movie going forward, you realize he just wanted a connection with, with this one person. He didn't want to necessarily kill them. I think, I mean, what I got from it was just he wanted to probably mate with her. But I don't know. He needed a hug. You know? I wanted to mate with her. <laughs> yes. <well>, but, <laughs> but, you know, there was a sense of, 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 of human connected emotion in those monsters. Certainly with Dracula. Certainly with the monster, Frankenstein the monster. Um, do you think that's important? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, they, that the monsters... If they have a connection to you, then it sort of makes the fear mm. uh, equivocal. For, for normal people, if they can in any way identify with the monster, then they get this conflict inside, which can be more terrifying. Yeah. For, for us, I think that we look at the monsters and see how they're being treated by the society around them, because that's always the crux. The monster's always the outsider, the one being pursued. Even though the monster might be a predator, you have to kind of step back and say, well, no, society is the thing that's really out there to try to destroy this thing that's monstrous because yeah. it's anomalous, it's different. And society is always trying to homogenize and wipe out the difference. And that's kind of the message that I always took away from it as a kid. You know, it became, it was subliminal at first, but I, I really began to think about it and going, wait a minute, like, I like the monsters and they're not like everybody else. But everybody's trying to wipe them out because they upset the balance. Yeah. And that, to me, was a real cautionary thing. And I think another reason why, you know, I identified with Satanism when I read the Satanic Bible, because that, that's what it talks about, that we're an alien elite, we're the outsiders. And that, I think, uh, comes naturally to us, for, to our kind, when we watch those sort of movies. Yeah. The, the children of the night. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, how about some of the worst? John, what do you think are some of the worst monsters? The most least successful monsters? 
Oh, wow. That's a great question. No. Uh, Sharknado? That was probably... <laughs> Tornado <laughs> Sharks? That's a funny movie. Did you see Zombievers <laughs> at all? No. <laughs> yeah. I know I know Magister Smith Neil Smith is really into those. He's always saying, Oh, we have to do bad movie night. I'm like, yeah. do we have to? <laughs> I wanna enjoy my time. I don't wanna <laughs> Yeah, I can never do this. You need to relate. You know, you need yeah. to relate to either the hero or the villain. Us usually relating to the, the villain. Kardashians. But, <laughs> yeah. What is it? There's a really uh -huh. terrible movie called the. It's the Creeping Terror, I think it is, and the monster is like a moldy piece of carpet. It's <laughs> really terrible. It's it's it looks like it cost like thirty five cents That's to make, awesome. and it's real. It's like a classic, like totally shit film. It's amazingly <laughs> awful. But, you know, Robot Monster with the, the gorilla costume with the diving helmet with the TV antenna on the top, that's mm. a pretty lousy monster. But <laughs> but the great thing about that movie is that Elmer Bernstein scored it. And he was kind of getting blacklisted at a certain point in his career. He had done the score for the Ten Commandments, and it's an amazing score of one of the you know great Hollywood blockbusters at the time. Was he called and out as they, a commie or something? Hmm? Was he called yeah, out as a commie? I think that, you know, he, sort of like he got sort of tarred and feathered on some levels with people and he had to start taking some shit films to actually make some mm -hmm. money. So he ended up doing Robot Monster, but but he does a great score for it because it's Elmer Bernstein and he never yeah. does anything that's bad. So it's kind of neat to, to pursue that kind of, you know, like that movie has benefits. It's really tacky and horrible, but uh, it has a great score. So <laughs> Joe yeah. in the chat room asked us, have we seen the Utah made troll? Ugh. Have you guys seen that movie Troll? Yeah, as a kid I did. No, I, don't, I haven't seen that. I've, I've seen Troll Hunter, the Scandinavian movie, which is... Oh, that was great. I like that. <laughs> no, it was a really bad, really bad 70s. Didn't they kill movie. Christians? Yeah. That yes, they Hunter? spelled them. That's the best part. <laughs> spelled Christians. That's yeah. great. <laughs> so, so bad. Love it. So bad. <laughs> um, least effective. I, you know, I never, I never liked... Um, uh, I'm trying to think like critters. I never really liked stuff like that. Whereas like super goofy sort of you know crazy creatures like critters. I gremlins? What about gremlins? I never saw that as a horror movie, but um, yeah, I guess no. yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't think it was horrible. I I think that did what it was supposed to do. I feel like if a movie is set up so that you could see a trailer or see a poster for it, watch the movie, and you're like, that's exactly what I expected. Whether it's good or bad, well, then it's a successful film. Like, it meant to... Like, Sharknado, I don't really... That's not my gig, but they were never meant to be anything but Sharknado. So they were yeah. successful in Sharknado. Um, I th and they get all these cameos of people who are like, hey, I'm in Sharknado 12. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's like, At some point, it's just like <laughs> a collage. Like it's like, oh, man. Um, Crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got to be those those really shitty, like like, Critters movies. I just, I never understood that. Again, you give me a haunted house. You give me a, a shadowy monster. And I, nine times out of ten, I'm going to dig it. Like, you give me an orphanage. I don't know what it is, man. An insane asylum and an orphanage, I'm, I'm good to go. Like, I will sit down and just ride the ride. But, well, you know, the movie The Haunting, the original one. Yeah. Uh, that movie 
it's all psychological and it's amazingly powerful. The score is kind of dissonant, contemporary. The acting is top notch. The cinematography is fantastic. And you're all about it going through a journey of is it supernatural or is it in someone's mind? And even at the end, we still really don't know. And that's the best thing about that movie because it's so upsetting and unsettling that these things are going on around you that may be coming from you, but may be external. And that we can't be sure is the disturbing part. And that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love what, that. What'd you guys think of uh, Leprechaun? I haven't oh, seen no. that. No, no, no. No, no. That's that's totally on par with Critters, dude. <laughs> Leprechaun? Was are you good with that one? No, I hated it. I, the only thing I liked about it was uh, Jennifer Aniston. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Does she have a scene in there? I don't remember that. No. No, I think it was like that. That was, I mean, I was little when I saw that. Yeah. It's it's weird. Like, uh, somebody mentioned Ghoulies. Remember that movie? Yeah, see, that was silly, kooky stuff. I mean, it, that was just dopey, and the puppets are so bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think Charles, the Richard Band, the guy who does the music, I think Charles Band produces them, and Richard, his brother, scores them. The score was kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, that was like a totally dopey movie. What's your but, favorite horror movie score? Let me ask you that. Mm. Oh well, Psycho. I mean, oh, yeah, okay, that was yeah, ever. Period. Yeah, but uh, I mean, there, there's there are so many good scores to horror movies. Like The Haunting is a great score. Mm-hmm. Um, the Twilight Zone movie that they did, uh, Jerry Goldsmith scored that, and he used all these different styles because he wrote for the original Twilight Zone. Some um, wonderful scores for that, mm-hmm. and uh, that 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 the, the that movie, the you know Spielberg is involved with that and such that. That's awesome music because each episode has a different tonality to it. And Goldsmith adapted his ability to write because he's done all those things throughout his career in this amazingly deft way from dark and scary to comedic yeah. and uh, or sentimental. It's, it's just that that's a complete masterwork of a score. And uh, it's a movie that I think is neglected these days. I don't think it's shown that often. And uh, it's a good one. It's definitely worth revisiting for people who haven't seen it. If they haven't seen it, they should see it. And if they have, they might want to watch it again mm-hmm. and look at the subtleties in there. The makeup effects that Rick Baker did are fantastic. It's a really good film. Yeah, I really like uh, like yep. psychological elements to to soundtracks sometimes too. Like um, you know, Halloween did a really great soundtrack score. Um, even the thing. I mean, I, I really dug oh, that yeah. soundtrack in that, but. Um, like the omen, I mean that was. Oh yeah, there's that's so Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, 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 just so it's his only Oscar too. He won an Oscar for the omen score, and uh, Great one. for a guy who wrote so many like Patton and all these other brilliant things, uh, that 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 was the one thing he got his Oscar for was sort I mean, of the like, theme. The theme song was oh, like shining. You know, yeah. Halloween, you know, Exorcist, um, Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, I mean, all these you'll you'll hear those scores over and over. They'll they'll, mm-hmm. they'll go forever. Yeah. Well, it's also, I see the Hammer movies. James Bernard scored most of those, and the Devil's Ride rides out and such. And he has this great kind of very like powerful style where he makes themes often based on the rhythm of the characters' names. So when he's dealing with Dracula, it's like Dracula. It's, you know, <laughs> like the brass keeps just repeating that, and the drums are pounding, and then the strings are scurrying like spiders, and it's. His stuff is just really strong, and, and it gives a flavor to the Hammer films that just makes them stand out to you. That kind of lurid Technicolor cinematography, 
the the amazing costumes like there's always these incredible women in these you know gauzy negligees running around sort of falling out of them and you know dracula is always this quiet dark power that emerges from the depths to conquer everything it's like great stuff that but the scores i think are a really major part of those movies oh, yeah. they give them a kind of flavor that that suddenly you know you're watching a hammer movie mm. yeah absolutely yeah. um okay let's let's do a little all-time favorite by way of uh closing down this discussion i think everyone watching and everyone here knows but i want to hear it from the from the man himself peter what's your favorite monster and why <laughs> well you know as we go it's like it's, it's gonna it's be got <laughs> It's the big G. He's my favorite. He's my guy. And, uh, yeah, just from the first moment I saw Godzilla originally as being a dinosaur fan, it was just, that was it. It's like, and, and what I love, too, is that he was named Godzilla. That that they had the audacity to put the I, the blasphemy of a deity tied to this monster. And that the power of this creature was was nature embodied, that it could just sweep mankind away was was for me just just so so transporting and powerful. The metaphor was incredible. The look of the creature, even though like it was crude in spots, that there was something about that that finned shape, the the fins glowing and the setting the city and turning Tokyo into a sea of fire was uh, poetic and dark and apocalyptic in a way that showed that, again, nature was indifferent to man mm-hmm. and that man has to really be careful of nature. We have to live in harmony with it. And that, that stuck with me, like, immediately. It, it was like the love of the creature being this fantastic combination of Iguanodon and T-Rex and Stegosaurus. Was, that was brilliant. He's like the, the hybrid dinosaur that's the coolest-looking thing. And that the power that he had as an embodiment of nature just struck me to the core as an important message and a, a resonant thing that I never forgot. Nice. John, what's... Uh... For me, uh, Exorcist. I mean, the first movie I've seen, but it had a very yeah. lasting impression. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah it, from the, the the filming, the effects in there, I mean, you could they don't do it like that anymore. Even with the CGI, it's not the same. There was some sort of really, you know, realism to it, and it was scary. Did you it like it when it was re-released yeah. with those extra cuts in it, those extra scenes? Oh yeah, absolutely. They saw her coming down the stairs, yeah. upside down, and the blood, and yeah, that was freaky. And, and that was the thing that they did these things that were just not done before, as far as you know, being possessed and and the the you know her slashed with you know with nothing was there. There was no whip or nothing. It was just in the air, slash, slash, slash. Those things were awesome, and the, and even the the breath coming out of her mouth, it was just yeah, everything was yeah. about that movie. Everything, the lighting, the acting perfect for me you know what was also great about that movie for me was when they put her through all the medical testing to try to make sure that there was something not physical there and that's like being put through the inquisition it's like the kind of tortures that the christians put on the people that they were trying to make confess yeah it was totally that (laughs) confess confess we're putting tubes into your neck and you're bleeding and you're getting cat scans and pet scans or whatever the hell it was and it was it was totally horrifying. Like modern medical science at the time that movie was made was as scary as a torture chamber. It was incredible the the way they made that so visceral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think the most effective monster for me was Annie, that little red headed scamp with her curls, <laughs> running around with her little monster dog. No, um, uh, yeah. For me, it was. Oh yeah, I I can't remember the. Oh man, 
I was going to name the freaking uh, the orphanage lady, but I can't remember for the life of me. Oh, this is killing me, her name. All right. Paul Brecker? Oh, no, that was... No, it it doesn't matter. So, uh, I think, the, I mean, I, I love The Exorcist. I loved The Omen so much as a kid. I mean, just this idea yeah. that, that this child had all of the power um, to dominate mankind coming up. That was a really powerful idea for me as a little kid because it, it put me in that primed position of saying, I... I could, you know, I could be this. I could be this, this ultimate, you know, you could say monster, or you could say the devil, or you could say a god, and be in control of everything. I mean, ultimately, it's my own life that I'm in control of, which in the acknowledgement and acceptance of that is a profound thing that most people, I don't think, do to this day, unfortunately, as grown-ass men and women. But, like, I, I dug that idea a lot. I mean, I don't, I didn't take so much the religious element of it because, again, it was a very Catholic-oriented movie, but... And I grew up in a Mormon household, so didn't really connect that way. But I, so I, the Catholics are scary too. Yeah, they, to a Mormon, <laughs> they want to murder children. <laughs> How scary can you get? Oh, in real life, they want to have sex with them, and in movies, they want to kill them. I mean, fuck, kids are just not safe around Catholics. Run, kids! <laughs> I'm looking at the chat room, and I know uh, Mommy Dearest. How about that, guys? That was pretty scary to me. I don't think I ever Even saw though it that. wasn't a monster, the you know her the mother was was pretty horrendous. Yeah, I don't think I saw. Yeah, that that, that is a horror film, but you know it's so at this point it's like a camp classic because it's so stylized and over the top that you kind of look at them going, you know, was she really that bad or is just this some kind of like drag queen nightmare or something? Yeah, it really is crazy that movie, but it's it's fun. You know, at this point people watch it. Uh, John Waters commentary to it. You watch mm. that with that, it's really funny. So. Well, there are a lot of movies that we haven't even touched on, um, and quite frankly, just for time, we're not going to be able to. Um, there are a couple other things that we wanted to um, hit on before we actually close down this episode. Um, are you guys okay if we take a short break? I'm, I've been drinking iced coffee. I'd like to cut that with a little glass of wine, if you're okay with that. Um, sure. We'll just run yeah. a couple commercials, and then I'll do a little intermission, and uh, we'll see you, everyone on the other side. Gentlemen, if we can mute our mics so uh, people don't hear us. I don't know, whatever we're doing. I'm just going to rip like a really loud fart. And I'm going to be like, who did that? I'm going to blame it on John. John. All right. So a uh, little intermission. Let's do a little commercial. And we'll see you on the other side. All right. Be right back. In 1966, Anton LaVey created the Church of Satan, marking the beginning of the Age of Fire and year one Anno Satanus. In 1969, he published The Satanic Bible, codifying Satanism as a religion, the first time it's been done in human history. In the name of Satan, ruler of the earth, king of hell, come forth from the pit, bestow the blessings of hell upon us, for we are your children, and we invoke thee this night. In 2001, I was appointed High Priest of the Church of Satan. In 2007, I published the Satanic Scriptures, further defining and expanding on Satanic philosophy and greater magic ritual. Hail Satan, full of might! Hail Satan, full of might! Our allegiance is with thee! Our allegiance is with thee! Cursed are they! Cursed are they! The God adorers! The God adorers! And cursed are the worshippers! For the past 50 years, the Church of Satan has stood as the sole organization 
to define and defend Satanism as a religion. And though pretenders to the infernal throne have come and gone, we have stood the test of time and will into the future. Visit churchofsatan.com for more information and read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures. Knowledge is the solution for ignorance. Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Sense podcast ran weekly from 46 Anno Satanus to 51 Anno Satanus. It not only defined the greater satanic conversation in its time, it remains the standard to beat among satanic podcasts online. Though the podcast has ended its life cycle, you can listen to every episode whenever you want online at the Nine Sense Podcast Archive. Each year of weekly audio episodes are available for free, as well as the four annual specials offered in both audio and video formats. Visit 9centspodcast.com today and discover the invaluable satanic wit and wisdom contained therein for yourself. 9cents Podcast Archive. Relive the satanic perspectives of our modern world. Alright, gentlemen, we are back. Are we all good? Yes, we are good. John, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Thank oh, you I for asking. Echo. Echo. You, you hear an echo? <laughs> Your echo yeah. has grown tiresome. Dude, I totally have an echo. Do you guys have that? I do have a glass of wine, too. I heard that. <laughs> Maybe it's Burbs. bouncing off your glass. What I'm doing bourbons tonight. Nice. Oh, small batch. To monsters, my friends. Two monsters. <clears throat> So let's talk, uh, let's do a next segment here, uh, and this is going to be closing out, I think, um, the proper show here. Uh, This segment's called, What's Worse? What's Worse? And we're going to pit two different ideas. Which is worse of these two different ideas? We've all done this throughout life, we're going to do it here. Okay, so, gentlemen, I'm going to start with you, Peter. What's Mm -hmm. worse? I'm going to let me set up these two ideas. People who vape, and I mean anyone who vapes, and I'm not talking the person who's honestly just trying to quit smoking, so they try vaping in order to quit smoking. I'm talking about the douchebags that go for like cloud density and distance, and they just think it's they have like lightsabers of vape machines. These ah, these assholes that just have like the the smelly like chocolate fruity oils that they're just like. Enjoying. Olympic vapors. Olympic yeah. vapors. Thank you. Them. Pole vaulting. <laughs> and if you're those people in, if one of you is in chat vaping right now, I wish I could just shock you with like a. I'm gonna Freddy Krueger tongue you on the other side. <laughs> um, <laughs> bad. <laughs> um, or or anyone on social media, and we'll just use Facebook for the discussion, who supports any cause. The ultimate good guy badge. <gasps> Someone's being oppressed somewhere? I'm in support of the victim. Let me take up that cause. So, which is worse? People who vape or people who support any cause on Facebook? 
I'd say the latter. I think that the good guy badge is, is the most foul thing in existence. <laughs> At least the vapors are pleasing themselves, even if they're aggravating the people around yeah. them. You know, let them have the power of self-expression. If you want to vape and create galaxies of smoke rings around your head and you can impress me with that, that's at least an achievement. Uh, you know, and remember in Lord of the Rings, uh, Gandalf could uh, make like a galleon go through with his pipe. Yeah! It's like, vapors, yeah. if you can do that, you'll impress me. I'll be entertained. <laughs> but the, the SJW types who are looking for a cause and are, you know, polishing up like several thousand good guy badges <laughs> to pin on their chest and to blind us all with their wonderful goodness. Uh, like, I think could see them all disappear down a black hole and would very much enjoy that as, as long as they scream all the way down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or a Sharknado. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, John? That's funny. Uh, I I think I I despise them both equally. <laughs> you know, the good guy. It would really be great well. if you just pulled out a vape machine and just took a draw right now. <laughs> They're the worst. Like, I, think they, I despise myself. No, I, I I know people that do it, and I'm like, what are you sucking on today? Like it's so just. And they're like, watch this, and there's like this. When they control the little thing and yeah. see, I'm like, it's great, it's amazing. I don't understand something. how it even took off in the first. How can you think the inhaling oils is not going to affect you? Like oh, that's it, insanity. Uh, that all to sorts me. of arguments. Yeah, it's just <clears throat> water vapor. Okay, buddy. Hey, and again, I think I think all drugs should be legal. I don't. If you want to do whatever you want to do, fine. Just don't bring it to my house. Yeah. I don't care. So if you want to vape, vape. I just think it's annoying as shit to watch. I, I hate that person. So much. So much. <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why, let's them. examine that a bit. Yeah. What is it about that, that that angers you so much that they have that freedom to do that and that, it's that not, it's somehow <laughs> it's impinging on your space or, or, I, or what, I, is it? That's, what is it? That's a good point. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. It's not the yeah. fact that they're expressing themselves because I do your thing, man. Fly your flag. Is that they're putting it up in my house. Like I didn't invite them in. What I could be at a stoplight. And they just blow this trail of chem all the way into my kids' faces. And they're just so they're like, yeah, I'm not expecting your lair at all. At all! I want to destroy them! <laughs> yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. And I just think you look douchey doing it. First of all, Gandalf had style. You oh, sitting yeah. around in your Bermuda shorts with your flip-flops in your huge raised truck, blowing out huge massive blasts of smoke, that's not style. That's the opposite of style. That's douche. You are douche personified. Douche. With a lot of smoke coming <laughs> out of your face. It's I'd not say that, cool, was, that was well articulated. <laughs> it's how I roll. <laughs> uh, did, so you, you hate that more, John, than uh, the cause supporters? No, I, I hate them both equally. Oh, okay. What they do you hate? hate uh, the cause supporters and those guys, the the the, the, uh, the Spartacuses of uh, of the Facebook. Um, <laughs> that, that's the the exact same thing as blowing a billowing puff of smoke out of your mouth. That's all it is to me. <laughs> is vape. It's the same thing, just on typing. <laughs> yeah, typing. Vape. One of them's figuratively, and one of them's you know <laughs> literally. Like it's all vape. It's all vape. You're calling the SJW Spartacuses? Spartacuses. <laughs> I don't see that. Because that's actually a fun series, that one they did, yeah. as, as well as the Kubrick film. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd say you're, sure. you're, you're kind of insulting Spartacus. Wait a minute, John. I, I don't mean that. I'm saying that's why I'm being sarcastic about them being. You're like. <laughs> <yeah>. Peter Duck. <laughs> <laughs> Poke him in his ear. 
All right. Um, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us on this discussion, Peter. Oh, it's been a hell of a good time. Thank you for having me. It's it's a delight. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, as always, it's almost like we've had two different experiences, which is really exciting for me doing this. We've had a wonderful discussion within ourselves, but the chat rooms had their own discussion that we've been dipping into and out of throughout this entire show, which has been really kind of cool as well. And though they've been following the general theme, I mean, they've been sort of going off on their own trails anyway, which is, this is, this is a really exciting experience, uh, experiment. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Remember, you can always be a part of the discussion by tuning in every first and third Sunday of the month. This right now is the third Sunday of August. We're going to be jumping over in a couple weeks to September episode, which we'll have another fine, fine guest for you there. Um, you can always follow us on Facebook, Google+, or YouTube is the best place, but we do also have a website. John, where's that website for people? ThirdSideNetwork.com. Yeah. And for those of you who have seen these two commercials running, one for the Church of Satan and one for Nine Cents Archive, John, are we considering other commercials? We are considering them, but you must you must bring it. Doorbell. It can't be uh, looking like a Sharknado movie. It's really, It has to look good. Yeah, I, I, unless there's a good celebrity guest star. Ooh, yeah, cameos. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the cameo. cameo. Yeah, <laughs> I do want to say though, as far as the chat room, somebody won the best comment on here. Uh, Lilith Malone, who said, "Vape this." Person. You won. <laughs> <laughs> I would love if just a, a cloud of smoke passed behind Peter, <laughs> right there. <laughs> Like, she's right there! (laughs) That would be awesome. Um, Yeah, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Your interaction has helped make this really wonderful. Till next time, uh, keep that inner fire burning, people. You stay classy, Satanism. How about... Hail Satan. Hail Satan, indeed. How about this... uh, Before we close out, uh, Peter, can we get your favorite Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory quote? Yes. Oh! Yeah, sure. I love that movie, of course, because Willy Wonka is Satan. And uh, he gives all those kids exactly what they deserve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sort of a toss-up for me to the one, time is a precious thing never wasted, is something that I always live by. Uh, but I think the most fulfilling one is, and perhaps even more satanic, is don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. He lived happily ever after. That's us, man. <laughs> exactly. So Words to live by. I love that so much. Thank love you it. so much. Um, do you have a little bit of time? Maybe we can do a little post show. Sure, sure. John, I gotta go. I got stuff I gotta do. No, of course I do. I right, get the get out. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> You're not welcome here. My right, Sundays belong it. to you, Adam. Post show, post show, party time, excellent. All right, let's <laughs> let's talk about. So this is this is after the show. This is the this after is the show time party on third side. Vin V dance. <laughs> uh, this is me. <laughs> Look at Peter getting down. Look at him. Yeah. Hey, uh, hit that dance party tune, man. You got it, buddy. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I was the only one dancing. <laughs> Peter's doing the Brady Bunch like camera thing. <laughs> That's How about what this we should one? do. <laughs> <laughs> even better. <laughs> All right. 
All right, so let's. We didn't talk about a lot of really great horror movies, and I don't want to keep it confined and constrained like we we did during the regular show. But they mentioned The Shining, and I love that movie. What did you think of that, Peter? Um, the original Kubrick Shining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that 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 Kubrick took <laughs> King's novel and made something very different out of it, but something really powerful because, again, he tries to play. F- with the idea that is there something supernatural or is it just the madness that's descending? Mm-hmm. And he kind of hints at the end, of course, with the photograph that, yes, indeed, there was something supernatural. But I think that's the real power of that movie. And, you know, and the Wendy Carlos music in there was was just spot on. And the performances are all great. I, it, on a certain level, Nicholson seems crazy from the moment he arrives at the Overlook. So it wasn't that far of a journey for him to be running around with <laughs> But, I feel like but, he's always, like, right there anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that was, to me, the only sort of flaw in it. And, and Shelley Duval, you kind of want to hit with an axe after a while. So, <laughs> but, but it, you know, yeah. there, again, he used, uh, like, music by Penderecki, you know, and Ligeti really wonderfully, like, because this disturbing contemporary music uh, to really give you a sense of unease and something just you know just completely out of balance happening, the isolation of that hotel it was it was it's a really powerful movie. I, I love it. I saw that in the theater when it first came out and was really enthusiastic about it. Although I had read the novel and thought, well, it isn't the novel at all, uh, but it's in its own thing. It's really fantastic. Yeah. They've done that notes remake of, of it where they tried to make it more like the novel with that guy who used to be in that Wings show. Yeah. Oh. And and that wasn't bad. It wasn't you know it wasn't terrible. Um, but it, you know Kubrick just has a, a vision that that you you can't ever walk away from. Mm-hmm. He always grabs you and shakes you up. Yeah. That's his power as a filmmaker. Here's Johnny. Yeah, such a great one. My kids ne- before they ever even saw the show, they knew that quote. It's just it's it's broken through the barriers of everything. It's 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 everywhere. Um, well, since we have you on here, uh, and we can just talk about whatever we want, if you're comfortable, what do you do? You have like individual personal guidelines on whether or not I will come on someone's show. <laughs> Are you immediately regretting coming? On show? <laughs> 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 what did I sign up for? <laughs> you take that off of YouTube, Adam. Yeah. You know, the way I think about these things always is what can I accomplish through doing something along these lines? And I respect both of you guys. And I think you're both bright and engaging and personable. And I Thank thought you. that we would have a great conversation <laughs> one way or another. And that's why I'm here. Nice. So, Thank you. Do, you, do you ever feel like um, you get tapped too much? Well, I don't know. Do you get tapped on the shoulder too much for different projects? That's private, Adam. What are you talking about? Well, I I do get tapped a lot, um, but I tried it to offer up something. The thing is, like my life is finite, my time is finite. But what I try to Way do to bring is, is if somebody Jeez. wants my insight for something and I think it's worthwhile, I, I want to give it if I can. If you know, if it's something I can mm-hmm. work in, I, I'm happy to do it because I, I'm trying to create a legacy for myself. You know, I look back at Doctor and see the legacy that he made, and I have to be aware that that's something that I'm also working on. Yeah. So that if somebody offers a project and would like my input on it in some way, and I can do that, and I think it's worth commenting that I could bring something to it that is unique and assists the project and and also sets something that people might want to read 10, 15, 20, 50, 100 years from now, then I'm happy to try to do what I can. 
Third side will be known as the dark time in your legacy. <laughs> this is the point that he just came on this show and <laughs> the, the goofy time. Yeah, this is this is the uh, the the it's public the costume ritual. <laughs> oh, not that bad. <laughs> You're our cameo, by the way. So <laughs> it can't be that bad. Oh man. Um, Nato movies they're, they're just goofy fun like they're as you said before i think it's sharknado what the yeah. hell else is it gonna be it's exactly it's what you expect it's yeah. totally what you expect and they actually make you laugh they have like you look at who the hell's that what are they doing here like okay <laughs> yeah. it's sharknado what the I hell why not it's it's like when you watch that batman movie they did in the 60s you know with uh, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah 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 everybody makes a cameo and, yep. and everybody used to make a cameo in that show it's it's kind of that's a great thing. So you could be like, instead of the Sharknado, you could be like Batman. But mm -hmm. the 60s Batman with Adam West and Burt Ward and all the cool people. You got Burgess Meredith and Cesar Romero and Julie Newmar. So, <laughs> hey, that's a cool thing. I was just yeah. watching a video on YouTube about uh, the different types of the Joker because Suicide Squad just came out. Um, and it highlighted the, the different eras of the comic, the Batman comics, and how the Joker was dramatically different in those three different eras, and how the movies, and the TV show, and the first two movies, um, were, you know, showing those versions of the time of the Joker, and uh, I just thought that was really interesting that that you could tie this character um, from the movies to the comics, even though the decades didn't match up, but the essence of the Joker in those times matched up. It was, it was kind of interesting. Did you have a chance to see Suicide Squad at all? No, no, I'm kind of interested to, to do that because, you know, it first sounded promising and then some of the original reviews are really terrible. Horrible. And I was like, yeah. wow, how did they blow that? Because it sounded like it would be kind of a slam dunk. And it's making, it's, what is it, it's past 500 million worldwide now. So that's, yeah. it's obviously people are liking it. So I, I'll go see it. Uh, you know, I just saw the new Star Trek film, which I was really enjoying. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. So you did, you did dig it? Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Peggy and I went the other day and... Uh, it's probably got the best production design of any of the, the new films. And uh, the score is great. Giacchino keeps up his wonderful work with it. Uh, the villain is... Rogue One, right? Hmm? Rogue One? The new... No, no, oh, no. the Star Trek film. Oh, the Star most Trek. recent Trek. Like I Simon can't... Pegg released that one or wrote yeah, that yeah. one? Yeah, well, Pegg, Pegg helped write the script. And I okay. think he brought a lot of sensibility of the original series in. He's great. Um, I, I love Carl Urban as Bones. I, when I first saw the original like reboot movie, yeah. I was just like, "How are they gonna do Bones? Who, yeah. How is that gonna work? Like, this is gonna suck." And then Carl Urban came on. I was like, "Oh, this is the best thing in the movie. He is so <laughs> Bones. He totally nails it. You know, it, it's like, yes, thank you. I'm here. I could just watch Carl Urban doing Bones, and that would be great. <laughs> that would be the and, whole movie. Just him complaining. <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's like I think this the new film is fun." Um, yeah, and it, it on a certain level, what it tries to do, they create this this space base, uh, Yorktown, mm -hmm. and it's really kind of the essence of what Gene Roddenberry wanted because it's this beautiful space station that that humans built. It's almost the size of a small moon, and the, it's gorgeous architecturally. Death and Star? it's tech. It, well, it's, it's like it's, but it's like the good Death Star. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's the, the life star. star. Yeah, yeah. See there, <laughs> the life star. It, it kind of is because 
everybody it's got this diverse culture living there of humans and aliens and again it's like the the cream of the crop of civilization has made this thing Hmm. and then we have a villain who decides that because he feels he's been fucked over on some level he's got to expunge it (laughs) and again it's it's like this one person who's basically you know a, a sad sack who's really his own life is his own problem uh is trying to take it on everybody else and hates the fact that other people are living life much better than he is yeah uh so it, it's kind of neat that way, but I, th- I think all the, the actors are pl- are really in their roles. They really kind of have, have gotten the sense of the original actors and the, with their own twists on it, and that it keeps moving. I mean, at the end, there's this conflict that happens that I think you could have solved much more easily, uh, especially using transporters among other things. Uh, but <laughs> always, uh, there's always stuff. <laughs> yeah, but but nevertheless, it's a lot of fun, and uh, and it has the kind of banter that you want from Star Trek, that you, you get a sense of the characters dealing with each other. And the visuals are fantastic. I mean, you see this one image of the Enterprise in warp, and you see the warp wake around it. Like, because they're, they're technologically trying to figure out how the warp would work. And this is a concept that, that scientists have actually brought up who are inspired by Star Trek, and they visualize it. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's fun. If you like Star Trek, you should see it. It's a fun film. I've enjoyed the reboot a lot. Like, my dad grew up... Um, obsessed with the movies more actually than the series really? themselves yeah he and so it was something that we would always say like I, this is i loved my my stepdad for this reason alone he exposed me some, some <laughs> he exposed himself to me to show me his obsessions <laughs> hold me john <laughs> oh no <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> uh no he exposed me to really wonderful sci-fi flicks uh, like the Star Trek movies, and you can argue, you know, some are better than others or whatever, but or like Enemy Mine, I really like that movie. It's I mean, a it's great, a, one of my favorites. It's an awesome yeah. score too. Yeah. Maurice Jarre did the music for that. The score is fantastic. The acting is wonderful. That was a very affecting, and that's like a Twilight Zone episode or something. It's really a nice film. I was, like that. Movie. Yeah, it was a great conversation about race relations, and um, I don't know. It just had this really wonderful. Um, atmosphere to oh my screen just went black fuck can you guys oh, hear me i see you I you're good you. we can hear you and see you yeah we can hear you and see you <laughs> i'm not i'm not saying you look good i'm just saying you're good we can hear you and see you i did this for you dick gosh <laughs> usually it's a little more that way just like um, yourself, <laughs> so messed up. yeah i love the star trek movies the the reboots Here's something that, you know, you get a lot of complaints from people when they do, like, reimaginings. Like, I haven't seen the new Ghostbusters, so I can't speak directly to that. But the idea of a remake of an old movie, that's, like, a normal thing that people do. Like, it's not like it's just a recent action. I mean, there yeah, was yeah. Nosferatu. There was Dracula. I mean, this is something that it just happens. You see Rob a good Zombie. idea. You feel yeah. like you can create a, an interesting version of it, and you go. And it's not going to be the same characters in the comics. You fucking comic nerds. This is, I hate this more than anything. I, I just came back from a man camp. It sounds super, super gay. It's only slightly less gay than it sounds. And <laughs> only that it's much like less gay. I'm just saying there's a lot of peen being shown. Lots Uh-oh. of peen. Not pretty. And not even pretty. Oh, what? Oh, I don't know if I should. I guess you, you have to do an article about that for Aden in his magazine, I would think. <laughs> it's called Dick Nato. That's a really good. <laughs> Starring Adam Campbell. <laughs> Joe is on Man Camp. He's one of the peens. I have pictures of you, by the way. Uh, I'm going to blackmail you later. Um, so, it, 
bunch of dudes like me and you guys that are really obsessed with a movie or a genre or comics or whatever, but there's these thick comic conversations about interpretations of comics and the movies. Someone just laughed. Was that? I know who that was. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, They're laughing at something from 10 minutes I know. Ago. I, I'm, I'm trying to keep it present. I, that, that totally distracts me. Uh, you know, I hope you noticed during the show, I... I didn't refer to it very often because I know that pulls me out of my my, my live zone, uh, trying to catch up to what people are seeing like a week ago. I'm like this, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but um, th- like I just it's it's an important idea I think to to take variations on character. You know, I love the fact that Jack Nicholson did the Joker in a certain way. I love the fact that Heath Ledger did the Joker in a very different way. He wasn't trying to copy what existed already. He was trying to, you know, just own it as an actor, which I appreciate as craft. Heath Ledger, the best. And then I really dug the new Joker. I I did. And people who love the comics, like, seem to just absolutely shun and hate him. But, man, it was a different take. It was a fantastic actor doing it. He did a whole different take. They didn't show him in it because that's the way that Warner Brothers wanted to play it. But he did like two hours of footage in that role. And I, I dig that a lot. I I like people owning a new, you know, an existing concept an existing take and making it their own. I think that's very important. Yeah. Well, but remakes can be really interesting sometimes because, you know, when, when you think of theater, people write plays and the plays have different productions. So you get different actors and different stage sets and different scores for them. So they can keep coming back. When they had done that remake of Psycho that had Vince Vaughn playing uh, the Anthony Perkins role, and they they still use the Bernard Herrmann music, and they almost shot for shot remade the Hitchcock film, yeah. and I like that. That it's fun. It's it's in color, and I think everybody in that film was cast well to kind of do an interesting reflection on the original people. So to me, like when I saw the Psycho remake, it was definitely like seeing a stage play, but just being produced again mm-hmm. with a different cast. Uh, and when you think of something, I mean, they just remade Ben-Hur, which I've been reading the reviews of, and it's kind of like Ben-Hur is one of the craziest, great, over-the-top spectacle movies ever made yeah. forever. And really, and what they're saying is, yeah, they didn't top it at all, and it's kind oh. of tepid and boring. And even though there's some nice digital effects here and there, that, and it just ends up being kind of politically correct almost at the end and you sort of go that's not what Ben-Hur is about Uh, so (laughs) like I think they dropped the ball on that Uh, when they did the remake well of uh, the Ten Commandments movie that Ridley Scott did that was that was just kind of dull you know it's like okay God Moses got hit on the head with a rock and he sees God as some petulant little British accent child and you're like, it's oh, kind of dopey. And it's like when the big play that's nice. But it's like you know, we don't. You know, the original. You've got like Yvonne DiCarlo, and you've got you know Vincent Price, and you've got everybody. Charlton Heston, all the people in the original Ten Commandments. Yul Brenner as Pharaoh. Like hello, yeah. like the, like you can't top that. The score is amazing. Elmer Bernstein, uh, and uh, you know, it, it, it's like sometimes remakes are stupid. <laughs> because there is nothing you could bring that hasn't been brought to that. Right. But when there's something, yeah. <laughs> but when there's when there's something that they couldn't achieve via the technology of the time, mm-hmm. or because of censorship or, or values that might have held back on some of the material, then go for it. If you could bring something new to it, because again, the thing was like that. The original yeah. thing is 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 wonderful. That that movie is all tense. It's all about 
how people are are afraid. It's paranoia going on. Uh, but you know, the monster isn't terribly scary. James Arness is in a carrot suit is not frightening. <laughs> Uh, but the original story, <laughs> Who Goes There, by John W. Campbell Jr., is a great story, and it's about a shape-shifting alien that anything it absorbs becomes part of its fodder for how it can change its body. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time Carpenter did it, you could do that. And he did. And his casting was wonderfully contemporary, and everything about that movie is is a complete classic. It's, it's So the original is a classic, Carpenter's is a classic, and who knows, somebody may come at it again in a different direction in another 50 years. That could be awesome. Uh, but someone, you know, someone mentioned. Oh, so, sorry. Yeah, no, someone mentioned so, in the so, chat room. Um, yeah. What is it? The remake of the Night of the Living Dead was also a good one. I agree. Yeah, yeah. The Tom Savini, you know, heavily reworked Night of the Living Dead. I thought worked nicely. You know, the original is so powerful. Oh, it's good. It's good. It's huh. and you hardly ever do see it. Uh, but it they did a nice job with that one. It totally yeah. worked. Right, I'd say the Dawn of the Dead is not necessarily as good because it, it's less. The original Dawn of the Dead is definitely political satire, and the new one is just kind of like, oh, it's action adventure with zombies. Yeah. I mean, it's nicely done, it's well directed, and the makeup effects are good, but it just doesn't have that kind of edge that the original one did. And you got an opening track by Johnny Cash. You can't go wrong. <laughs> I thought that <laughs> was awesome. awesome. Comes around. Yeah. yeah, I love me some Johnny Cash. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, Lil Moan, you are absolutely right. <laughs> he knows his movies. And everything um, by Rob Zombie really sucked. I don't agree. I totally disagree. I loved House of the Thousand Corpses. I loved fucking, yeah, no, I, I loved it. I loved it! I'm trying to stir up a Dick Nato. Don't worry. <laughs> Dick Nato's coming to your town! Dick Nato. Um, you you may great. have to, to do a sideshow called Dick Nato. I think <laughs> I've got a concept here that could go. That will be a video for a den. <laughs> yes, it will. You gotta have to help him get that magazine going. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't talked to a den in a long time. I miss that man. I really do. Um, well, I, I just heard from from Magister Johnson that that a den is hard at work on that first issue, and it's about ready to come out. Nice. Yep, I'm doing the uh, layout and design of it. So. Oh, yeah. so we know it's gonna suck. God damn it! Yeah, those... <laughs> I can't, You're a dick, Nate. Thank they cut your centerfold, John? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> right above the waist. That'd be great. Or, or, or was it uncut? I don't know. <laughs> no, I want to see that so bad. I want to <laughs> see that so bad. That would be awesome. Oh my gosh. I actually have pictures from Man Camp that would be perfect centerfolds. <laughs> kind of I'm glad I didn't go now. It's, first of all, it was tasteful, okay? Tasteful. Yeah. We went down to <laughs> Goblin Valley in Utah, so it's all like freaky goblin devil desert type, you know, scenery and stuff. It was a lot. It was a good time. It was a good time. Do you do stuff like that? Do you do, you do any um, fishing, hiking, camping, anything like that, Peter? Not anymore. I'm 58. It's, at this point, I want, like, mints on my pillow, girls <laughs> bringing me drinks mm. and fine food and uh, luxury all the way. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I've spent time, I mean, I hiked in lava tube caves up in the Pacific Northwest. Cool. So, you know, a, a whole bunch of experiencing of nature. But, uh, you know, mm. and I, I, it's fascinating and wonderful, but I'm really at the point in my life where I can look at it from my balcony. It would yeah. be much nicer. Well, while sipping a cocktail, <laughs> I went with my nephew, and he's like 22, and we it, it was an eight mile hike that we did during the heat of the day, um, and it got just it was only under a hundred, so it's not like it was murder temperatures, but it was really hot. Eight miles, 
100 degrees, it gets That's hot. a lot. Yeah, that's yeah. difficult. So we were... I was acting like like him at 22. We were climbing rocks and we were running up these sort of deviating exploration paths while everyone else was just going the main trail. And immediately after I was done, I was like, wow, I am not 22 anymore. Holy shit. <laughs> it kicked my... I did not expect... Was there a point that you guys experienced where you were like, hit in the face that you are no longer 21 or 22 anymore? It just yes. like, you're young. <laughs> Deal with yeah. it. You know, it, it's funny because, like, I push myself a lot when I do work on the house. It's like the other day I was out in, like, 86-degree weather on the roof of my front porch, like, priming and painting details on the house to get it ready. And I just kept Beautiful doing it. I want to get it done. I want to get it done. I want to get it done. Then I get inside and kind of go, yeah, I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> I'm not going back out there today. It's not no. That, well, actually, then I went underneath and started priming it. And then I said, yeah, I'm not going to finish that today. So <laughs> I, I did keep going, but then I decided enough was enough. Yeah. Oh, yeah. John, have you had that yet? Yeah. I, I answered you. Young man? I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had that. I didn't want to, I can't wear these because of the reflections. Yeah. And you guys want you might, you might see the websites I've been visiting through the reflection of my glasses. We, I don't want to we have looked like the blobs to him the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Running around scaring people, <laughs> eating them up. Of course, of course. I love my food and I love luxurious things and I love to sit around and enjoy them and hold on a second. <laughs> Show off. So, nice. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, gentlemen, I, my time... Might I have a toast for a, a first public episode finally done? Yes, absolutely. To many think, futures to come. Yes, and to a great success and lots of fun for everybody who participates. Hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Hail Satan. Satan. <sighs> I can't think that, of a better ending. Was that the gong? Did you guys hear that? I did. Yes. Oh, good. I did. Got to make sure they come across. Was your harem of, of naked virgins the one hitting that in the back behind? <laughs> behind no, I, was trying, I'm had a, I had a wine here, and I'm like, oh, I got to hit the B button. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> All right, well, I, I'm i going to have to uh, close down the show, everyone. Do we have any sad panda music? Any sad? Uh, we've got this. <laughs> You're drunk. <laughs> I didn't hear it. I didn't hear anything. You can't hear it? Oh, there it is. It's just... so hard <laughs> to say goodbye. We just need to get a picture of a sad clown and throw it up. <laughs> just just get Pennywise. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, that's... <laughs> Have you seen... The Talk about a remake. Okay, we can't end now because I just saw that, that poster of him fully as Pennywise. What did you think of that? Oh, I thought that was creepy. I thought it was, you know, a very nice new take on what Pennywise should look like. And I did you see, see did you watch that Hemlock Grove show that that guy yeah. is in? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that show had some good things going on to it. It kind of got messy and just sort of became stupid at the end, as these things often do. The end but of the was second of season, good, yeah. good stuff in that show. Yeah. it. I thought it was, fant it was a really fun, engaging show up until the end of the second season when you saw that flying lizard monster for the yeah, first and time. Yeah, and then and it, I was then it like, became obsessed with that bullshit. And you couldn't drop it. 10 grand to get, like, an amazing-looking creature? Like, come on. You yeah. could have done so much better. But yeah. I stuck it out through the last, the final season and everything, and I, I enjoyed it for what it was. I thought, again, you know, it was what it was. I enjoyed it. Yeah. 
I like the crazy Frankenstein-y Asian scientist guy. He was pretty cool. Like he was probably the and and Famke Jansen. I mean, hello. Like, how could you not watch something that she's in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She always delivers the goods. Oh my! I keep gosh, thinking yeah. she'd make a great Morticia Adams. I'd like to see. Oh, her she in would. Movie. No, she's got shoulders and everything for it. I I never yeah. even thought about Sexter. that. Yeah, yeah, no, that yeah. would be like next time I do an Adams Family movie. She's Morticia. Oh, I hope you do an Adam's Family movie. <laughs> it would be perfect on so <laughs> yeah. many levels. So many levels. That'd so at the very beginning of the show, we were ta- you were talking about um, uh, you know, the horror movies and, and Dracula and the, the castle and everything. And, and we've touched on you working out in your yard. I got to say, I love your home. And it's got to be inspired by those experiences of you as a child watching those and movies. And you can too for just twelve ninety five. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and yeah, now, and this is amazing. When I was a kid, I watched, you know, the Addams Family and the Monsters and all that. And I thought, I want to live like that. Like, I, I didn't see them as being creepy or scary. I saw them as like, that's my future. How could, you know, Peggy and I both, that was the whole thing for us. Like, we grew up thinking, we want to be those people. Yeah. And we did. We did it. So we're kind of happy about that. <laughs> and what do you know? <laughs> this shit works. And and we're so glad to bring you guys into it. That was kind of, you know, for, for the, the Conclave weekend that we could have so many people come by and get to see the new Black House and experience what we've been working on here to kind of bring this, this creative artwork together that... Uh, you know, it's for us, but it's also for everybody who we want to invite in to enjoy. It's it's kind of a, a wonderful experience, I think. It, and, it was an amazing experience. It was yeah. just being, you know, talking to everybody and you seeing the architecture of the home and hearing Bill M in the background. It just, it, it was nothing better. I didn't want to be anywhere else in the world. Yeah, that's it. That's what we we wanted. We really wanted this to be a place that not only would satisfy ourselves, but would satisfy the kind of people that we enjoy and appreciate. That you guys could come here and and get the essence of of ourselves and yourselves all reflected in this this environment that we hope will be here for a long time to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. All right, gentlemen. I think that is to go out dancing. I don't know why that would that. <laughs> yeah, dance. Like I, don't, I don't see that. I feel like seventies or something. Yeah, this this is Soul Train, everyone. Come on, or is it like train. Of, of, of Bergman's Seventh Seal, where everybody takes Death's hand and dances up the side <laughs> of the mountain? Okay, you'll understand this when you see it. But it's like the end of Suicide Squad with the like gyrating Sorry. hips that are like <laughs> awkward and not necessary. <laughs> Peter's just sitting there looking. He's like, <laughs> dance, bitches, dance. <laughs> I'm not dancing. <laughs> all right everyone that's it for this show catch you on the flip side where's my out button (laughs) adam hit the out button i have an out button i think you hit the out button earlier this evening (laughs) when i got my glass of wine hit it i gotta go pee there it is there's nothing there (laughs) Uh, darkness reigns (laughs) 